We're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians, and if you couldn't tell, it's probably coming to a close. If you have a Bible, and you see we're in 2 Corinthians 11, and there's only 13 chapters, it's been some time since we've been in, uh, in these two books. Now, if you want to know where we're going next, I don't know. So you have to ask Pastor Nauman or Pastor Joseph or someone else. But uh, it might not be too late if you have suggestions. So uh, feel free to uh, give those to me or someone else afterwards in uh, Grill the Preacher. Uh, as is our custom, uh, I'll read God's word. Uh, we'll respond with, or I'll say this is the word of the Lord, if you could respond with thanks be to God. So longer chapter of scripture, uh, a beautiful cra- uh, chapter of scripture, a, a challenging chapter of scripture. To many of us, especially those who teach and preach the word of God. So um, uh, here we go. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. This is the word of the Lord. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their ends will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, 
I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the ways you are at work in our lives. We thank you that you promise to draw near to us when we draw near to you. So, Lord, here we are now. We want to hear from you. We want to know how you would have us be changed through your word. So, Father, speak to our hearts now. Let your spirit be at work. Conform us more into the image of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ain't nothing like the real thing. When I say that, does a song come to mind? And if so, what version? Right? A lot of people sang that song. I, I did a little research, right? Uh, 1968, uh, first version, I think. Right? Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Uh, it was the first of the duo's uh, number one R&B hits. So it wasn't like the number one song in the whole country, broadly, but it was number one on the R&B charts. I think it made it into like the 50s for the top 100. Um, but it was also remade by, can you think of anyone else? Aretha Franklin. Okay, so still in the R&B genre. genre. Uh, Donnie and Marie Osmond. You guys got that one? Is that the one you're thinking of? Okay. Um, Elton John did a version of this, and other people, right? So a whole bunch of people have done a version of this song, right? Ain't nothing like the real thing. And, and why? Why does that chorus resonate with us? Why does the song resonate with us? Well, because nobody loves an imposter, right? Nobody loves paying for the real thing and getting a fake. 
guys, if you went out and thought you had the perfect engagement ring, and it was however many carats and cut and color and clarity and all that was wonderful, and, and it was a cubic zirconia, and you paid a pretty penny, you wouldn't be happy. And guess who else maybe wouldn't be, all right? So, what nobody likes an imposter, and the Apostle Paul knows this, and he wants the Corinthians to know this. Because the context of the Apostle Paul in the letter of 2 Corinthians, and particularly towards the end, is him defending his ministry as the apostle who planted this church. His particular mission to the Gentiles included them, but many other people who had come in and called themselves apostles and were kind of picking on the Apostle Paul. And were kind of making fun of him, and they didn't think too highly of him, and they thought things like, you know, well, this guy, I mean, just, we, we, we just read all that about the shipwrecks, and he hasn't even been shipwrecked on Malta yet, so at least four. We're going to add at least one more. He, he suffered all these things and went through all these things, and they're, they're t- trying to tell the Corinthians, well, you know, if we were really an apostle, would life be like that? And they come, and they charge exorbitant fees. And so he's going out of his way to do it for free. Right? They're trying to undermine his credibility at every turn, and also they're trying to undermine the gospel. And they're trying to undermine the Lord Jesus, and they're trying to undermine the work of the Holy Spirit in their midst. You see, the true apostles then were preaching the true gospel of the one true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they were doing it by the power of God's Holy Spirit. But there were false teachers, there were false apostles that were proclaiming another Jesus of a different gospel by a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit. And this is why the apostle in this chapter spend so much time describing a real apostle versus a false apostle. So I thought we should spend the bulk of our time tonight describing to you and looking at a real apostle versus a false apostle. Now first, this would get any Presbyterian's hair up on edge if someone came and called themselves an apostle. So I'm going to switch the term And I'm going to call it messenger because that's all the word apostle means anyway. But they are using it in a technical sense here. Like apostles of those who saw Jesus and were commissioned by Jesus and had the authority and power of those in the first century that were writing God's word. That's what those people were claiming. And Paul wanted them to understand the difference between a real apostle and a false apostle. But for us today, I think everything we read in here applies. The true messenger of God versus the false messenger of God. The true messenger will do certain things and will not do certain things. And the false messenger of God will do certain things and will not do certain things. So I want us to pay attention to that as we study this. We're going to spend most of our time there together. And I found ten. It's a nice number, right? Ten things we can look at about true apostles versus false apostles. Or true messengers of God versus false messengers of God. That way you can be equipped to know, right? that you're sitting under the teaching and preaching of true messengers of God. And, of course, as I uh, read this and studied this, all these things, I'm like, okay, Lord, help me, convict me, let me not do this, let me do that, right? Uh, But you all, as the body of Christ, as the church, need to be equipped 
to spot a false messenger, to spot a false gospel, to spot someone talking about a different Jesus, to spot someone coming to you by another spirit. Uh, but I, I think the bulk of what's going on here is aimed at true messengers versus false messengers. So let's look at that. Let's start there, and then we'll move on quickly um, and unpack just verse 4, uh, looking at the gospel and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. All right, so uh, first, verse 2. Let's start there. Uh, verse 2. Uh, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, Paul says, since I betrothed you to one husband present you as a pure virgin to Christ. The true messenger of God will feel a jealousy, but not a regular jealousy, but a divine jealousy. That is, he will care so deeply about his people that when hurt or harm is taking place in their lives, it will propel him to action. It will move him, right, uh, to get involved in the situation. He won't just sit back idly and watch that take place, nor will he be the perpetrator of it willingly. Okay. And we see language in here very reminiscent of Ephesians chapter 5. So he'll not only feel the divine jealousy, but uh, the Apostle Paul had betrothed the Corinthian church to one husband, right? To present them as a pure virgin to Christ. And just like we read in Ephesians 5, which is in your additional scriptures. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Just like the husband is supposed to lead his wife to Christ so that she can be washed and cleansed. So the true messenger of God is to lead God's people to him so that they can be washed and cleansed of their sins and presented to him as a pure virgin, the text says. It's a beautiful picture. Now, the false messenger, verse 3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So the true messenger is trying to lead the people to Christ to be cleansed, uh, but the false messenger is doing the very opposite. He's trying to deceive them. And this is a picture from Genesis chapter 3 uh, in your additional scriptures, verse 13. Then the Lord said, or the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She was deceived. And how was she deceived? Well, Satan came and called into question the sufficiency of God's provision and the truth of God's word. And that's what false teachers do. They question or make you question if Jesus is enough, like you need something else. And they make you question whether God's word is true, whether just small parts of it or even all of it. So true messenger versus false messenger. Let's look at verse 6 now. Uh, verse 6, back to, uh, sorry, let's do verse 4 first. Uh, let's stick with the false messenger. Verse 4. Um, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Okay. So the false messenger, and I'm not going to cover these in detail now, but they're proclaiming another Jesus in a different spirit and a different gospel. And that's worth coming back to each of those three. But it's a different message from a 
different messenger, right? About a different person and motivated by a different spirit. Uh, that would cause a lot of confusion and chaos, right? But the true messenger of God, now verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, even if I am unskilled in speaking, this was comforting to me. The true messenger of God can be unskilled in speaking. <laughs> uh, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. So the true messenger of God has a responsibility to study and be competent with the scriptures and to know them well. But I think the most important part of this verse, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things, the Apostle Paul. And the true messenger of God is called to make things plain to the people, not to complicate them, to preach the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and make it plain. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't difficult passages in Scripture. And when they come across them, we do our best to make them plain and simple. But some people can make simple things very difficult. I can kind of do that. You can ask my wife, like, you know, why, is that this, why does picking out this little thing have to be so hard? But the true messenger of God, when they're handling God's word, their job is to make it plain, right? To make it simple. That's what the apostle Paul did. Some are better than others, rhetorically. Thankfully, that doesn't seem to be one of the most important qualifications. But a student of God's word who can explain it simply, who studies it, who commits themselves to studying it and sharing it with others, that is a true messenger or characteristic of a true messenger of God. Now, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul asks uh, rhetorical questions. Right? Um, and there's a lot of, if you didn't pick up on it, I tried my best to read it. There's a lot of sarcasm. There's a lot of irony in here. There's hyperbole, right? He, he's really... Uh, just at wit's end in speaking to the Corinthian church because of the situation they're in, because of the things they're believing that are so far from the truth. So he's pulling out every uh, rhetorical device he has in order to speak to them and help them understand the situation. So we'll see some of those here. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Now, first of all, the true preacher of God, the true messenger of God does not rob anyone. And the Apostle Paul is using hyperbole, right? He's just using hyperbole, exaggeration for effect. He did take money from other churches. He took it from the church in Philippi and others in Macedonia, the northern region of modern Greece, but those in the southern regions, particularly Corinth, because other people were coming, preaching a false gospel and extorting money from them. He said, far be it from me to do that. I will not be confused with those people who are coming and preaching a different gospel and emptying your wallet at the same time. Because that's what was taking place. But the Apostle Paul does say, right, that he came. Did he commit a sin in coming so humbly? Right? And the true messenger of God is humble when they're handling God's word. They understand the gravity of what's taking place that we're putting before you the very words of God and that we will be accountable, right, judged with a stricter judgment, so to speak, because of our handling of God's word. So he comes humbly, and the true messenger of God uh, comes humbly as well, right? And he humbles himself so that the people might be exalted. And 
this preaching free of charge, I've explained that uh, slightly in the, in the robbing God's people. That's not to say that those who participate in vocational ministry uh, cannot get paid. Please don't drop Pastor Matt, Pastor Joseph, Pastor Nauman off the payroll, okay? I'll be okay. I'm a director at a nonprofit, right? So I'll be okay, right? I could get by. Uh, and, and, and I would do this for free, right? And if you ask pretty much any gospel minister, they'll do it for free, right? But they do have families to feed, <laughs> right? They do have responsibilities in life. This is what God has called them to do, and it's not only to preach and teach and to sh shepherd, but it's also to provide for their families, okay? Uh, so although they would do it for free, and I'm speaking for them here, uh, they also need the support. But the difference is, do you really think Pastor Matt, Pastor Nauman, Pastor Joseph, and I'll leave myself out of this. I'm pretty much the newest here, and they're the full-time guys, and some of them have been here for so long. You have watched them lay down their lives for you for quite some time. And does anyone really think that the primary motivation of those three gospel-preaching, gospel-teaching men is money? That's what this is getting at, okay? Uh, so the true gospel minister, yes, you can pay them, and they appreciate that. They like the lights on in their house. They like warm water for showers, most of them, except a few really crazy ones that wake up and do the cold shower thing first thing in the morning. Uh, most of them like that stuff, okay? Um, but that's not why they came. They come humbly so that you can be exalted, right? Uh, and they preach uh, God's word to you. All right, uh, one more thing uh, as we're talking about uh, and building on that. Uh, verse 11, uh, we're going to stick with the true messenger of God. Uh, and why, the Apostle Paul asks, because I do not love you? God knows I do. God knows I do. The true messenger of God loves the people of God. Uh, there was a mentor of mine. Uh, he was a mentor for too short a time, uh, and not because it was his fault or not because anything happened. And I'm not going to go into all the details, uh, but his name was Pastor Dan Henley, uh, and he was actually a, uh, a pastor in the PCA for, I don't know, about 30 years. And then he moved up here, and he was in the EPC at North Park Church. You guys know where North Park is and North Park Church, EPC and Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And in one of my first meetings with him, we are just talking about, you know, how do you know you're called to pastoral ministry? And he told me, I love God's word, I love God's people, right? And it always stuck with me. Right? The minister of the word loves God's word, right? and they love God's people. And so what do they want to give to God's people but God's and that's how he knew he was called to the ministry. Those two simple loves. And we see both of those right in here, right? Back in verse 6, uh, right? Uh, the being uh, skilled in knowledge, uh, like a devotion to God's word. And here the apostle Paul is saying, right, I love you. Uh, I love God's people. And those who were coming preaching a different gospel, right, by a different spirit and, a, and another Jesus and extorting them from, uh, with money all the while, do you really think they love the church at Corinth? Now, in some ways, the church at Corinth must have thought that they did because they went along with it for a time. All right, let's uh, flip back over verses 13 and 15. Uh, let's lo look at false messengers and some of the things now that they do. Verses 13 through 15, for such men are false apostles, 
deceitful workmen, which we've talked about, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. We see here, like we saw in verse 3, a lot of deceit right, and a lot of disguises by the false teacher, and they're following Satan's lead. And this one I share with you and point out because do you think this is easy to pick out? Not necessarily, right? This requires wisdom. This requires prayer. This requires time in God's Word. This requires all those things to, to know that someone who's coming to you is not coming by the Spirit of God and they're preaching under God. Uh, Satan disguises himself quite well, and so can false teachers. But false teachers have the same origin as him, and they have the same destiny. They have the same destiny. Uh, they can shipwreck uh, and cause a lot of damage in the church, uh, but in the end, uh, unless they repent, right? uh, unless they're confronted and, and repent, right? uh, they too will go the way uh, of Satan. Uh, not my prayer for them. Um, I, I wish that they would repent and preach the true gospel right? and come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. But uh, that's not the case with the false apostle or the false messenger. Now, skipping down to verse 20, uh, let's see. Uh, for you bear it if someone makes, and these are some of the things that false teachers were doing to the church in Corinth. You bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. These are significant things. And I think he's being serious. I don't think he's at all e exaggerating here. I think these things were actually happening in the church from the false teachers, right? They were, I'll paraphrase some of these or try and bring them uh, into, you know, modern uh, 21st century language. You bear it if someone makes slaves of you. That is, they were demanding service, right? I am in this position, uh, therefore you must do these things for me. I'm going to treat you like servants or slaves. Um, now, Scripture does say that those who teach and preach are worthy of honor. It even says double honor, but wow. Uh, uh, no pastor uh, can demand that you come over and cut their grass. <laughs> like, that's not the way that works, okay? Um, right? But here they were, they were making slaves of the people, right? They were devouring them. That is, they were uh, consuming them, right? Uh, they were uh, exhausting uh, their resources. They were using what they had, what the what the people had for their own good. And uh, this recalls Ezekiel 34, the false shepherds. Um, let's see, what's next? Uh, they take advantage, right? Uh, that one kind of speaks for itself, but they're, they're using uh, the people, right? Uh, they put on airs. Is that phrase still common today? Putting on airs? I think it's a, I think it's a little older. I don't know that it gets used as much, but putting on airs uh, just means someone that, acts more important than you, right? Uh, they, th they think they're functionally better than you um, uh, by virtue of position uh, or status or something like that. They, they act like they are better than you, right? And then lastly, strikes you in the face. And commentators said that they, they, they really think this was happening, right? 
that these false teachers, who happened to be, most of them they think were, were, were probably Jewish, uh, were, were slapping Gentile Corinthians in the face. Like this was a form of discipline, right? Um, terrible, terrible. Um, and then the Apostle Paul uses uh, great irony here in verse 21, back to right, uh, uh, true messengers when he says, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that, right? A lot of sarcasm there, right? Uh, he's essentially saying we couldn't live with ourselves if we did things like that. Like, this, the, 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 you know, if you, if you have, a, um, let's say, a, a litter of puppies, what happens very shortly thereafter? You got six, eight, ten. A strong one asserts itself, right? shows itself, right, and then there's a couple weak ones. And oftentimes, some of the weak ones die, right? They can't get to the milk. They get trampled on, right? The strong ones come out and assert themselves, and, and, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. These false messengers do. They're asserting power and strength over you in oppressive ways. He said, far be it from us to do that, right? Great, great irony here and sarcasm. Like, we were actually, we were too weak to do that. We weren't strong enough. That's not what he means at all. Were any of these false teachers stronger than the Apostle Paul? Well, maybe in his flesh, I think you would argue. But he had the Spirit of God. And when he's weak, he's strong. God allowed him to endure all of the things that are talked about in here. None of these men endured any of those things. None of the other false teachers endured any of those things. The sleepless nights, the shipwrecks, uh, the beatings. They didn't endure those things. They wanted nothing to do with those things. But by God's grace, he endured all those things. As he'll say in the next chapter, right? For God's power is made perfect in weakness. Right? Um, and let's do uh, uh, one last one, number 10 here, if you're counting. Uh, verses 23 through 27. Let's read about some of those things um, that the Apostle Paul went through. Uh, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. The true messenger of God is willing to suffer. That doesn't mean they love it. But as those who follow the suffering servant Jesus, this is the path in which we walk if we're going to follow him. And those who are called to lay down their lives for others, right, teachers and preachers of the word of God are called to do it, perhaps even more than the regular person. The pastor is called to do it, all right? Uh, we're all called to do it for our families, for our friends, for our co-workers. Um, uh, but the true messengers of God, those who preach and teach, tend to be called to do it for a whole other group of people as well. So we see all these things. We could pick out more, right? Uh, verse 33, right? You have to be able to fit in a very small basket and be let down through a wall. Uh, just kidding, right? I don't think that's really, uh, but it's this humbling experience that the Apostle Paul 
went through. It's just another example of that. So true messengers versus false messengers. We want to have a good picture. We want to understand, right, those who are coming and preaching God's message, right, uh, and those who are not. And the Apostle Paul went to great lengths to share with this Corinthian church. And God went to great lengths to preserve his word. So we can study those things as well today. Now, this verse 4, I want us to unpack for just a little bit. Um, as I've been rambling and we're going on. But I think we have a, a few more minutes. Uh, verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or you, you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Let's talk first about a true gospel versus a different gospel, as it's called. Well, the gospel is this, folks. Right? That we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, okay? and we read this from the scriptures. Okay? Those are the five solas of the Reformation. Those unite all Protestants everywhere, that Jesus came and lived the life that we are supposed to live, and he came and died the death that we deserve, and he offers to trade places with us. That's the good news of the gospel, but the gospel, and that's all gospel means is good news, uh, but the gospel can be distorted. We can see it was distorted, distorted to the church in Corinth. Uh, sorry, the, the, well, it was being distorted in the church in Corinth, but it's being distorted at the church in Galatia. Right? The Apostle Paul says, and it's in your additional scriptures, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Right? So we see that throughout scripture. Well, the gospel can be distorted and to a point where it becomes a different gospel. And there are ways in which the gospel is commonly distorted. I'll categorize those into two ways. One, add to. Another, take away. Right? People add to the gospel. Right? You must be, fill in the blank. A lot, lot in the early church, false teachers are saying you must be Jewish. Right? Uh, people can say you must be perfect before God. You must be better than your neighbors. That's a false gospel. That's a different gospel. Uh, you must be rich, like God must be blessing you materially, or you don't really, or you must be poor because God is a defender of the poor, which he is, but false gospels, they're adding things, you must be A, B, C, right, or you must do, right, uh, to the church in Galatia, they were saying you must participate in the ritual ceremonies, you must be circumcised, right, um, you must be baptized, now, we believe in baptism, it's a good and wonderful thing, but strictly speaking, I don't think it's required, that is, water baptism for salvation. If Jesus can say to the thief next to him on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, and he was not baptized with water, then strictly speaking, I don't think it's necessary, right? Uh, you must keep God's law. Right? You must give the church all your money. You must read a bunch of extra books. That's an easy sign, right, uh, that it's a different gospel. Well, the Bible plus this one, right? You need to know the Bible, but you need to know this one too, right? So people add to in many different ways. People also leave out, right? They leave out certain things often with the false gospel. One that's very common in our day is suffering, that you will suffer, right? Uh, if you never hear that from the person who is preaching, then perhaps it's a false gospel, right? Um, uh, someone that leaves out that God... Uh, um, desires you to live in ways that honor him. 
as if now, you know, you were a sinner, you were apart from God, you were stuck in your sinful ways. He has totally changed you and transformed you in the person of Jesus, but now you can go back to living exactly the way you did before, right? Now, now living right is not a prerequisite for salvation. That's not the gospel. And living right doesn't keep your salvation. It never earns you anything. But God would have us live differently. It's not easy. We struggle with it. We fail often. We still sin. But someone that would say God doesn't care how you live at all, I think is preaching a different gospel. Uh, And lastly, uh, along these lines, leaving things out. Someone who leaves out bad news. Because I get that gospel means good news. But the bad news precedes the good news. And typically, if you hear or never hear someone talk about sin or that we do anything wrong, they could be preaching a false gospel or a different gospel, right? There's only one true gospel. And at the end of the day, you simply must believe by faith in what Christ has done for you. You don't have to add anything take anything away. Uh, So there's a little bit on a true gospel versus a different gospel. Now how about the Lord Jesus Christ versus another Jesus? Well, who was Jesus? Well, he was a Jewish man, uh, first century Palestine. He probably didn't look like you. um, And if someone tells you he did, uh, we don't know what he looked like. We don't know what he looked like because oftentimes we're so busy trying to refashion God in our image, right? We want him to look like us. Um, But he is Lord, that is, he is ruler over our lives and over everything. He is Savior. He is the one who saves us. And he's not one or the other. And there was a lot of that going on as I look at people of a certain age in here when they were my age and younger, in the 60s and 70s, that Jesus could be Savior. He could save you, but he's not really your Lord, right? He's not really in charge of your life. Um, He is Messiah, that is, he is God's anointed king. He is redeemer. He ransoms us from sin. He takes our place, and he's ruling and reigning now. This is the Jesus of the Bible, okay? And you've got to dig into the Bible more and more and more to know him better. But oftentimes, people preach another Jesus. They might preach a Jesus who isn't ruling and reigning, whether now or ever. They might preach a Jesus who's not really Lord of your life, And you call the shots still. They might preach a Jesus who can't actually require anything of you. Maybe he'll ask something from time to time, but he could never require anything of you. They could preach a Jesus who will never contradict or confront you. Just like a a cheerleader, right? I mean, I'm I'm not demeaning cheerleaders. Please don't. My wife is a cheerleader. I'm not demeaning cheerleaders. I'm just saying that's all he is, is he's just one who comes alongside and cheers and tells you and encourages you that everything's going to be all right all the time, no matter what. Um, People could preach that Jesus is only love all the time and nothing else and totally ignore God's wrath and justice and just focus on mercy and grace. But we can't put God's attributes one versus another. And so the Bible does say God is love, right? Uh, But it says more than that. Uh, so this is a, a, a different uh, Jesus. This is different than the Jesus of the Bible, right? So how do you know who the real Jesus is? Well, you're in the word for yourself. Right? And you have to be, just like Bereans right, uh, in Acts 17. All right, last. God's Holy Spirit versus a different spirit. Uh, your additional scriptures in a couple places talk about, in the 2 Corinthians 2, uh, the ministry of the Spirit, right? And 1 Corinthians 2, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul, right, 
coming, right, in demonstration of the spirit and power. God's Holy Spirit has power, and he is ministering and at work in the lives of his people. And God's Spirit always agrees with what he says, uh, our Father, and with what Jesus said, and with the words in the Bible, right? So anytime a spirit is telling you something that doesn't agree with what is in the Bible, it's not the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit testifies to who Jesus is and what he's done. We read in John 16, verse 8, that he convicts the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what the Holy Spirit does. But other spirits are often at work. And they're at work in false teachers. And these are opposed to the Spirit of God. And they seek to cause confusion and chaos and disorder. They want you confused. They want you far from the peace that comes through knowing God and the power of his resurrection. They don't want you confessing sin to God. They don't want you believing him in him by faith. They want you trusting in yourself or something else, anything but the Lord Jesus. Now, two more things. Any non-Christians in the room? I'm going to ask you now. Is God's Holy Spirit Might God's Holy Spirit be at work in your life right now? Convincing and convicting you for the very first time to turn from sin and and to turn to God, to receive the grace that comes through knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Is the Holy Spirit at work in the first or for the first time in your life? My prayer would be that if it's not happening now, it would happen soon. And that would happen as the word is preached to you faithfully uh, and that you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior the way we who profess him as Lord and Savior have come to know him. Christians, a few things for you to be on guard against false teachers. How do you know? Well, first, you have to be much in the word. You have to study and adore the Lord Jesus Christ and to seek to learn about God more through the revelation that he gives us in his Bible, Um, that you would be deeply uh, immersed in the gospel of grace. So you'll know when something is off. If you want to be on guard against false teachers, you have to be much in prayer uh, and keep in step with God's spirit. If you want to read a passage about keeping in step with God's spirit, read Galatians 5, right? The desires of the flesh, which we all know and experience, but they're opposed to the fruits of the spirit. And God would have us more and more putting to death the things of the flesh by the power of the spirit to work within us and living in the fruits of the spirit. He's producing those things in us. Now, I'm going to ask you to do these things, right? I'm not going to give you permission. You don't need permission from me to do this. The Bible... Paul's telling the Corinthian church to do this. I'm asking you, right, to call pastors who preach a simple gospel of grace. When you're thinking about calling a pastor to a church, call pastors who preach a simple gospel of grace and who serve uh, you, the congregation, in Christ-like ways. Ask questions of teachers and preachers. If you have a question, if something doesn't line up, don't let it sit there. Don't assume they know more than you. Um, uh, 
they could need corrected. I could need corrected after this and grill the preacher for something that I said. You know? I could need corrected. Uh, don't let that sit. Uh, uh, yes, the average pastor probably knows more than the average person sitting in the pew, but that doesn't mean we get it right all the time. And if we say something that's wrong, then we should want to know about it. We should want to hear from you. Okay. Um, so as the Apostle Paul told them, they were, verse 4, um, they're accepting a different gospel and they accept it, and you put up with it readily enough. Don't put up with less. Right? Demand gospel-centered, Christ-centered, spirit-led ministry from those whom you call in your midst to be pastors, right? Um, and of course, to do that, you're gonna ha you have to listen carefully. You have to really be engaged when they're preaching and, and teaching, right, so that you can do that. So this is what we see from the Apostle Paul here. He had a significant desire that this Corinthian church that was being beset by false teaching and being led astray be led back to Christ. I tell you all these things because by God's grace, I don't think that's happening here. But nonetheless, I want to encourage you to keep pursuing after Christ, uh, to be able to identify these things, right? To be in God's word much, uh, to be in fellowship with the spirit much, to be deeply in love with Jesus to where you know him so well that when someone says something that just isn't Jesus, it's just not the Jesus of the Bible. And not your Jesus, right, but the Jesus of the Bible. So that God's church right, can remain pure. Right? So that the bride can be presented as the pure virgin uh, that the Apostle Paul so greatly desired for this church in Corinth. That's the desire right, of your pastors for this church. It's a desire for us and our families. It's a desire for all of us. And we all play a part in that. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, Lord, we thank you. We live in an era where there is much false teaching. Lord, protect us. Uh, Lord, by your spirit. Uh, Lord, we're not smarter than other people. Uh, Lord, we're, we're not counting on ourselves to do this. Lord, we're asking you by your spirit to preserve unity in our congregation. Uh, Lord, to preserve sound teaching in the congregation. Uh, uh, to put a desire in your people to love your word and your spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and to seek your gospel preaching and teaching. Lord, help us all with this. Lord, build us up in love that we would know you better and that we would proclaim this message to those around us who so desperately need it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We come now to the Lord's table. Right? And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup and he said, this cup is uh, the new covenant of my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink you, all of it. This meal that we are about to partake of is a, is, is a, is a symbol. Right? It's a picture of Christ's body broken for us, of his blood shed for us. It's also a picture, it's a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb when we are with him anew in the new heavens and new earth come. And we dine with him in all his glory, in all his glory. This is a family meal. It's a covenant meal. It's for those who have, by faith, placed their trust and hope in Christ alone for salvation. Right? And have been baptized and are members in good standing of the local church. Right? 
if that's not you, if your hope and trust is not in Christ alone, if you've never been baptized, although not required for salvation, but if you haven't been baptized, if you're not a member of a church, if you haven't committed yourself publicly, then we'd ask you to repent. We'd ask you to have a conversation with someone afterwards about what that could look like. Um, uh, but this meal I- is a meal. Not only is it a symbol, it's a picture, we're remembering, but it is also a means of grace. So for those of us, every day, every single one of us who fight against sin and lose battles every day, we need God's grace to overcome sin. And although we'll never get there in this life, we will in the life to come, rest assured. But this meal is helpful in that. This is a means of God's grace. He grows us. He feeds us spiritually through this meal. And so if you're struggling with sin, but you know you're a believer, uh, and you've been baptized, and you're committed to Christ and His church, don't run away from this meal. This is the very thing that you need. I'm going to pray, and then we'll partake together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, take now these simple elements, bread, wine, and juice. Lord, use them. Set them apart from a normal everyday use for your holy purposes. And feed us. Meet with your people. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think uh, John's going to come up. I'm going to invite Joe to come up. And we are going to serve you. The way we'll do that is uh, you could line up over here to my right, your left. We'll line up uh, all the way across the front. Um, and, uh, and then we'll partake as a group up here. Yeah? Uh, so we'll give you instructions when you're up here, but take your time, come on up, and when you're back, you can just go, or when you're done, you can go back to your seats. Come to the Lord's table. We do have gluten-free. You'll see that. There's wine and juice. The wine's on the outside. It's darker. The juice is in the middle. It's lighter.